0: This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano.
1: I'm Keith Baker.
0: And I'm Wayne Chang. And Scott's not able to join us tonight, but we're going to go ahead and push forward anyway. So, in honor of this month's release of Blade Runner 2049, we're discussing Warforged and how they are not robots in D&D. Wayne,
1: <laughs> although they don't, in fact, dream. So I'll just say, you know, they they don't dream of warforged oh, sheep.
0: That's right, exactly, exactly. Well, well put, well put. And don't worry, everybody. We won't have any spoilers for Blade Runner. <laughs> Maybe at
2: the
1: end.
0: That's good because I actually haven't seen it. So
1: I thought we were just going to spend the hour talking about Blade Runner, but damn, okay.
0: Oh yeah, we'll we do that go next back episode. The source material. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so, you know, and it's kind of interesting that you mentioned about the um, not being able to dream thing, because I have I have a personal hypothesis about Warforged that I've incorporated in my own campaign. So I'll talk a little Ooh. bit about that later on. But uh, before we get started, I do want to point out uh, several articles um, related to Warforged. Uh, Keith, I think you've done all of these. If mm-hmm. I recall correctly, uh, Warforged part one, which is one of the old dragon shards article in the wizard's archives. Uh, there's also Warforged part two, uh, druids of Corvair part two talk about uh, a section of it, talk about Warforged druids. And then we have your dragon marks article on your personal site, uh, Warforged and more, which I thought had some really, uh, great information on their, um, so, uh, we'll have those in the show notes. So you'll be able to check those out. Uh, we might refer to some of those things and, um, there's, there's a ton of material in those, uh, to, to, you know, go through. And of course the core books are great resources as well.
1: And of course, technically speaking, the dragon shards are uh, part of Canon and the dragon marks are not.
0: Yes. Yes. Just saying. Great clarification.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Well, that's just like this podcast, not being a part yeah. of Canon. Right. Uh, So, um, what are they? What are Uh, warforged? Let's start with that topic. Uh, We know some of the core concepts. They're living beings. They're made out of organic matter as well as stone and metal. Um, I think one common misconception that I've seen often is people just think they're just metal, right? That there's no...
1: (laughs) that's no. definitely a common a common concept is that, again, they are just solid metal. And the whole idea from the start, uh, which you can see in the early pictures, is that a lot of essentially what amounts to their muscle matter uh, is this sort of organic root-like uh, sort of substance that's not unlike live wood. Uh, and part of this goes to the fact that they can respond to healing spells. They don't mm-hmm. respond sort of fully. Uh, but they are in part living matter; they are not full constructs. Right,
0: right. And I love—I think that Steve Prescott's art that uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that does is. a really good job of illustrating that. I noticed that as later artists came in, um, they were definitely leaning more towards the fully metal sort of mm-hmm. look and feel um, mm-hmm. at which I, I personally kind of cringed. I was like, Oh, that's not how I see them. You know?
1: Well, and, and that's because again, Steve was one of the original concept artists for Eberron. And right. again, you know, he was the one who sort of first drew them and uh, he does have a very distinctive sort of style there.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, what else do we know about Warforged then?
1: So, you know, Warforged uh, one of the big things in sort of discussing are Warforged robots or not uh, is that I like to call out it is, you know, they are free thinking uh, creatures with emotions and free will. The critical thing is that they are taught, but they are not programmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are many things about them that if K- uh, Kenneth had sort of full 100% control of the design, they might have left out or put in. Uh, you know, that again, some of the things that get called out is, you know, they have a sense of taste. Why on earth would you give them a sense of taste? Uh, and it's just, well, they've got it. Um, but coming back to that, the idea that they have, you know, they don't necessarily understand emotion the way that humans do because they don't have a lot of experience with it, but they can feel anger, pain, loyalty, things like that. Uh, and they are again, uh, creatures with their own independent identity—they just haven't always had a lot of sort of time to develop that. Um, physically, you know, one of the other things that is called out is that they do have uh, a symbol on each warforged has a symbol on his forehead called the gora. And uh, that is a unique symbol. So if you look especially it's something that in some of the later art, I think uh, people might not always sort of know about. But certainly if you look at all the, uh, the original art in the early books, anytime you see a Warforge, it's going to have a distinctive symbol on its forehead. And the idea is, again, that's not something Gneith designs. That's something that every Warforge comes out with one and everyone is different. And that's something that is part of their core identity.
0: Right, and no one really knows why they even manifest. That's correct. Right, which is you
1: interesting know, to me. Part of the idea, again, is that they were made using creation forges, mm-hmm. and that creation forges are eldritch machines, uh, and they're tapping into sort of you know great powers of creation and the mark, and they are also drawing on some stuff that they were sort of tinkering with that they picked up in, in Zendrick. Right. And so part of the point is that, again, Kneeth doesn't, totally understand everything about them. They've sort of started making constructs and Aaron De Kenneth said, well what happens if I try this? You know, and basically kept tinkering with things and popped out, you know, eventually a Warforged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the point is again, some of it is there is a magical component to them that I say magic in that sense of magic is not always a hundred percent logical. There is some mystery to it. Right. Um, and so again, that's the big point to me about sort of comparing them to robots as a robot we design from the ground up, you know, we're sort of putting all the pieces together with Warforged. You do have this, they're living creatures and they are inherently magical creatures. And that means there are some things about them that aren't either entirely logical or entirely explained, you know, the question of, do they have souls? Right. And from a purely mechanical perspective, they do have souls because you can raise them from the dead. Uh but, you know, part of the point is that we've called out that the Kalistar in particular are like, well, you can't manufacture a soul. You know, that just doesn't happen. In which case, where are the souls coming from? And you know, that's something we've intentionally left as a mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of people have explanations, but it's one of those things we're never gonna actually say. Uh so there you go
0: yeah I think that would be an interesting if we have time later in the episode uh kind of throwing out ideas related to that what what are Absolutely. some possibilities that g m s can use so and i you know the other you, you touched on the part about um that the sort of magical technology coming from Zendric, sort of stolen from like ancient ruins and such. And I think that's really cool. That speaks to the the trope of like the mad scientist who finds this thing and, and then just uses it not really knowing what the implication is gonna be.
1: And that's the key. A couple things we've said both with Warforged and with elemental binding that things are drawn from from uh Zendric and a bunch of people have sort of jumped on that. They're like, "Oh, that's stupid." You know, like nobody ever makes anything new. And I'm like, "Well, you don't understand. We're not saying they literally found a thing that pops out Warforged like you make today in Zendric. We're saying they found something that helped them make this breakthrough and make what we have today. So we're saying there's like, you know, there's a power source or there's a, you know, an aspect that allowed them to make this breakthrough they don't really understand. Right. But again, something like Warforged were definitely made in Zendrick, but they weren't Warforged as we have them today. So it is not that Kenneth hasn't done anything clever. It's that they are playing around with sort of, again, magic they don't fully understand.
0: Right. It's like it's like finding electricity and then going to a light, you know, being able to produce a light bulb and then eventually being able to produce, you know, computer electronics, right? And
1: and this is really to me the idea of Creation Forges and the Mark of Making is, you know, again, arcane magic in Ebron is a science. But when you get into things like eldritch machines, like the Creation Forges, you know, part of the point is that there's a certain degree to which it's actually an art. Uh, That it is just the, the air working with their mark, interfacing with the forge, and sort of, again, engaging in an act of creation that isn't quite and 100% planned. Uh, and, you know, this is all about sort of creation forges and, and the mystery of, of uh, what can be done with those. But I'm saying to me it is a sort of slightly different thing than a wizard making a magic wand in a workshop.
2: Well, if you, let me think of it this way. Let's say that you were – someone described uh, a gun to you, yeah. without using the word gun. And they said this was a real item and you've never seen a gun before. you could probably approximate something. it's still yours. you're still making this but the idea maybe or the description came from something like if you if you believe that there's a template or something, you know that's where this this kind of thing sprang sprang to life. Yes, maybe the original war forged or whatever they were called uh, was created by someone else but someone in house canth base went, Oh, so this is this thing is possible. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use all these things that I don't understand and imprint something into this machine, and it pops out. Oh, it's a war forged, mm-hmm. and it just happens that there's some similarities because someone's described that to me before, or someone has put that idea in my mind. If, if we're thinking about dream manipulation, um, but it's mm-hmm. not the same. Absolutely. Thing.
1: Yeah, and, and like uh, you, you know, said, just exactly to throw out a possibility, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, not that anyone in Eberron does dream manipulation or anything. Uh, no, but no, no, I, no, I think that's that's a perfect uh, way of putting it, and that is the point of the Warforged that have been shown so far in Zendric weren't sentient constructs; they were humanoid constructs. But again, the point is, in creating the Warforged as we have today, Eren did have a breakthrough that, you know, was a unique thing, whether or not it was in fact implanted by alien, you know, gene parasites. Right. So um, yeah, go mm-hmm. ahead. You're no,
0: nice go ahead. Uh so, you know, we, I think we've we've already beaten the horse, the dead <laughs> horse that mm. they're not robots, they're not emotionless, and they're not walking computers like, you know, data from Star Trek the next generation.
1: And and the thing to me is these are all things that it's fine as a player if you want to explore these things. If you want to be a Warforged that has an extremely flat emotional affect, you just never kind of figured that thing out. Uh, it's just saying that that's unique to you, if you see what I'm saying. That's not just all Warforged or like this. But I'm not going to come to your table and, you know, say you're being too much, you know, too much like a robot if that's what you enjoy doing.
0: Right. I mean, yeah. If that's if that's fine with the group, with the DM and and uh, and the player, please you're a, a
1: mentally, uh, you know, emotionally stunted Warforged. Right. But it is not inherently what they are.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Um. So y- you talk about this, I think, in your Dragonmarks article um, about Warforged not having a defining culture. Like they're or a homogenous culture, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, one of the things that they really struggle with is the fact that, as living constructs, they've only existed since about thirty years ago. Um, and then there, and of
1: course, that's the oldest of them, that,
0: right? So right. you
1: know, you could be a Warforged and be three or four years old,
0: right? Exactly. So there, ha- that's not a lot of time to really develop a complete culture, but also, um, you know, you've had Warforged that have not only either. Um, lived among one particular nation's army, for example, they might have only have lived a military life, um, but they might have actually moved around from one army, you know, from one nation to another, as well. Maybe adopting bits and pieces, or just simply doing what they were asked to do.
1: Well, and the idea originally, you know, is that concept that warforged basically were given a purpose by the mm-hmm. war. You know, they sort of come out saying, "This is what you're here to do. This is why you exist." Do it. And so that most of them were quite, so to speak, content fighting in the war. You know, this was their purpose. And so, to the degree that you have culture, a lot of the older ones, what they have is, you know, basically 28 years uh, of being part of a military unit for those ones that fought in the war. Right. Uh, And then two years of not. And, and again, that's where, you know, we talk about in some places where they've become essentially indentured servants uh, or, you know, uh, or laborers in part because for a lot of them, that's just sort of, okay, you know, I'm just sort of doing what I used to do. Uh, Whereas for the others who are breaking free of that and developing their own identity, you basically essentially the idea that they should have a culture is for some of them a revolutionary concept
0: right i can imagine Um, that being very common among the younger ones oh definitely whereas the older ones are much more like no this is just what i've always done this is what career this is my reality, basically yeah Yeah, this this is my normal you know
1: yeah and it's also the difference i think between ones that were were uh you know, as you say, sort of long-term military units versus ones that were created for other purposes and didn't actually serve as part of a unit.
0: Right, right. So, you know, I think what's what's interesting is that um, in different areas of, of the setting, there are various groups of Warforged trying to define their own sort of post-war cultures. Um, you have very obviously, you know, followers of the Lord of Blades. Trying to create a nation out of the Mornland. Um, uh, in Fades of Eberron, uh, there's the introduction of the concept of the Becoming God. Also, another group in the Mornland, um, sort of wandering the Mornland and picking up pieces and trying to sort of forge this, this I guess God kind of, mm-hmm. um, which I think is interesting as well. Uh, but then you also have I, I really liked when I ran Steel Shadows in Dungeon magazine one fifty um, and I loved the representation of sort of the culture and the cogs there uh, the, well thanks, the, yeah, no it was it was great because <laughs> another had, thing written by me, <laughs> yeah, they even mm-hmm. had like their own um like in that adventure, they have their own like little tavern, you know uh, mm-hmm. I, f- I forgot the the guy who who ran it. Ash, maybe
1: I, I know a picture. Of, I have a picture of him in my mind because I really like the art that they did yeah. uh, for that. But I can't remember his name. Yeah, I think I might have been but, Ash. Yeah. But
0: but in any case, you know, he sort of ran this tavern. And it was like a repair shop, and there's just these warforged hanging around, and and they're they're familiar with each other in an intimate way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's one character that's kind of annoying. Another one that's like very uh, militant follower of the Lord of Blades type. You know, zealot. Um, and then there's you know others that are just like, hey, you know humanoids are cool cool too um and i and i think the fact that they all like respect each other and they have this bond in this community is is really cool as well um so
1: yeah go ahead i was just saying i mean it comes back to again that idea that they have more in common with one another than you know they do with again Mm -hmm. any sort of of creature of flesh and that's Sort of the whole idea of the Lord of Blades from the start, I'd like to say he's sort of the Magneto or Doctor Doom uh, for Eberron because part of the idea of saying, yes, he is often going to be in an antagonistic position to the players, but at the same time, we always wanted him to be someone that you could look at and say, but he's actually potentially, you know, is trying to do what's best for the Warforged. You know, that you can understand why Warforged might support him. Um, And, you know, we again, going back to the idea of Eberron as a noir setting, as a setting where good and evil aren't always clear cut. That was definitely an idea, you know, we wanted to have there uh, is that he's a villain where some of the time you're going to feel bad uh, about opposing him. Not all, but some of the time.
2: Well, if you take that Magneto thing aspect, like, Magneto's thing was always the brotherhood of evil mutants, right?
1: Take the word evil <laughs> yes. out. Take yep. the word evil out, and it's brotherhood And they did mutants. later in the comics, yeah, but exactly.
2: yes. And that's the thing, is that now you're not painting him as good or evil, you're painting him, yes, maybe extremist actions, and if you look at the Lord of Blades in the same way, extreme more extremist actions... But at the end, of, and obviously his art looks like he's going to just poke, like he walks up to you, he's oh, going right. to poke you. But take that away from that. Then you have a religious leader um, who is trying to do something for his people, um, but is a little more militant about it. It's it's very interesting because, you know, if, if you think of Warforged as like career military, like mm-hmm. not all of them, but if you think of this career military, they're looking for somebody, their culture, their identity has been wrapped up in you are born you step out and someone tells you here are your orders and you know nothing else but to follow those orders and now there's this person saying you can be individuals you can you can have a life but follow my orders <laughs> hey well it sounds pretty good i get both mm-hmm. i get best of both worlds right
1: and and that's i mean that's the thing to me about the lord of blades is i think the point is um and this is where This is also how Doctor Doom has been represented over some of the years, too, is generally as a straight-up villain. But every now and then, they focus on the fact of, oh, but he really believes in his country and his people. And to me, that's the thing with The Lord of Blades is, again, he has little sympathy for humans. He's going to do harsh things, you know, because he sees humans as their oppressors and, you know, as the enemy. But again, he's acting for what he believes is the good of his people. He is not simply acting for a desire for personal power or a desire for wealth. He's, he really believes that, you know, he's doing what's best for the warforged. Right. Um, so, but yeah, you know, I mean, that is sort of back to the point of saying each country has treated them differently. You know, you have communities like we've described in the Cogs. Uh, scattered around or also in some cases like a lot of times what you see in fiction uh, is the idea of warforged who have just basically stuck with their uh, units from the war Uh, that again in you know pierce in uh, the dreaming dark the whole idea is well this is essentially the only family he knows you know the people that he served with and i think um that's Very much also, sort of, the concept you get with communities like in the cogs is just saying, well, Pierce is an example of a warforge who served in a largely human unit. Um, And uh, sorry about the noise in the background. I'm in a noisy neighborhood, apparently. (laughs) Um, But anyhow, uh, he served in a largely human unit, but you know, a warforged who served in a primarily warforged unit won't have that same connection. No, they uh, might have it with somebody else or other warforged. Or to each other. Exactly.
0: Right. right. That's and, actually, uh, so in, in my personal adaptation of, of Eberron for Savage Worlds, um, there's, there's hindrances, right. And some of them mm-hmm. can be positive things like loyalty.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and of course when they come into play, they can, it can be a negative impact, but, um, but that's actually something I gave Warforged was the loyalty hindrance as as a racial feature because of that very reason. Because it was my perception that whether it's to their unit or just to maybe somebody that they befriended or you know whatever it might be, they're gonna. It gives them a, a sense of purpose in some ways. Um, well, I think that, that but just something they can out. easily yeah. glom you know glom onto you know.
1: Yeah, I think you called it out, Wayne, of that whole point of they come out and they have no reason not to, you know, this is the purpose they know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that was called out, you know, in the races of Eberron sort of description of the whole, you know, they have no knowledge of the world, you know, they believe what they're taught because they have no no context not to. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that loyalty makes a lot of sense if it's essentially saying, you know, what is interesting to me about the Warforged is that they had a sense of purpose that we as humans generally don't, because we go through our whole childhood. We go through this process of discovering who we are. And the point is, the Warforged was told who it was right away. And it is only now that they are sort of pausing to say, well, maybe, well, is there more than that? But, you know, up till now, they've had a purpose. They've known exactly what they're for, you know, their weapons. And it's that whole point of, well, what happens when you were built to fight a war and suddenly there's not a war and people just tell you, oh, no, no, we don't really need you to fight anything. Right. What right. do you do? Um, and that's one of the things that I always find very interesting in the concept.
0: Another... Um Another aspect I found interesting about Warforged is the idea of gender. Now, the mm-hmm. core uh, Eberron campaign setting, uh, the original campaign setting book, um, there was the idea that they sort of adopt a personality, a gender personality or identity, I should say. Um, in races of Eberron, you know, of course, there's some things in there that I, I don't necessarily agree with. And one of them was Same that- Same here? Yeah. So one <laughs> of them was that they, you know, many of them don't even adopt a gender identity, uh, but some do. And which I was like, well, okay, that's, that's fine. Um, with that in mind, in the, in past episodes, we've talked about how Eberron can be a really good vehicle for exploring like social topics or social issues as well. And I think that's one of those areas where gender identity, especially, you know, being so such a prevalent topic right now, um, could be explored. You know, you have these, these characters that, um, for whatever reason for their, for their own personal worldview of things, they might just simply associate with a particular gender identity. Um, so I think that's a great vehicle to explore that in, in Eberron. No, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, I will, I will say one thing that has put me, that puts me off sometimes is uh, typically you see it in fan art where there's like, Oh, there's a female warforged and they make it a very feminine shaped <laughs> warforged, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even with like, you know, breasts or whatever. And I'm like, that's awkward. Um, well, but yeah,
1: What's funny about that is, I mean, that is the point of Warforged were mass produced. Uh, And I think I have a Warforged called – well, I know I have a Warforged called uh, Indigo in um, the Dreaming Dark series. Oh, yes. Who Mm -hmm. I say is a sort of agile design, but it's just the idea of, well, she's like a scout build. You know, basically she's an assassin. Right. And it's not that she's supposed to actually be feminine – but she is admittedly a more slender built than a you know she wasn't designed to be female. Uh, it's just oh yeah, but she is sort of less bulky than like Pierce's, for example. Right. Um, but it is interesting little tidbit here uh, is that originally in the 100 page pre Eberon uh, Eberon setting Bible, uh, the warforged were actually custom made. Uh, hmm. They were one of a kind. And so it wasn't just the Gomer, that each Warforged was potentially unique. Uh, and that was sort of the idea of you could have, you know, the, the Warforged main, made in the image of, uh, you know, Rowan or something like that. Uh, you know, you could have these sort of, uh, you know, it was more in a sense almost like they were statues. Um, and, and it was moving forward that we said, oh no, we're going to work in the, the industrialization theme. Um, right. More strongly,
0: that makes more sense. Um,
1: but some of the earliest art of warforged essentially has like three warforged that are all completely different mm-hmm. uh, in design. Um, but again, these days the whole idea is no, they were uh, they were mass produced and they were produced for a purpose, right.
3: uh,
1: and that purpose wasn't uh, you know something that required them to look again to have breaths, shall we say?
3: Right.
2: right. No, no aesthetic you know, reasoning right. behind it. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, and even even part of the point of not only was it not aesthetically designed, but it's back to what we were saying before of they weren't even entirely sort of designed uh, to look like they look. It's just, well, they were designed, have heavier armor plating, and then, you know, the juggernaut comes out, have, you know, make it more of a scout belt. Ooh, it's skinnier, you know, I mean, right. but again, they weren't – they weren't sort of saying, oh, we want to make the face more skull-like right. or something like that.
0: Right. Or maybe a stealthier Warforged that has darker, you know, plating Absolutely. or something. You mm-hmm. know,
1: certainly saying darker plating, lighter plating, you know, we talk about things like that. That mm-hmm. you can definitely do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it's back to saying they've all got the Galra and we didn't plan them to have that. Right. right. And this also comes back to one of the other quirky things about Warforged is the idea of, again, where I say they're inherently magical creatures. Uh Not only do you have the fact that they are grown, that this comes from the, they've got the organic material in them, but even the metal and stone of them is inherently magical and can change. And this is the idea that if you're a warforged juggernaut, you grow heavier armor plating and you grow spikes. Mm. If you're a reforged, I think they're called, you know, your plates come off Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and That is something that changed a bit in like fourth edition. The whole point is that in third edition, Warforged got their their bodies essentially as feats. And it was something you decided at first level, this is what my Warforged is like. In fourth edition, they really didn't like that. And so they really pushed to have them basically sort of treat armor. And in, in third edition, the idea is you could transfer enchantment from armor onto a warforged in fourth edition. They just really want to get away from that. And so they had this idea that they're like hermit crabs and that they basically attach armor to their body, but they can, you know, take it off and, uh, and put on other armor, um, which always was a little weird and felt like this is just a weird sort of way to get around them, having a fixed AC. Uh, so we'll see in fifth edition, uh, which approach ends yeah. up being taken.
0: Yeah. I always liked the idea that as being magical items and, and also just living constructs that you could actually, you know, an artificer could imbue them directly yeah, yeah. with magic and powers.
1: I, I played a, a war artificer for quite a while. And mm-hmm. that was part of the really useful thing about it yeah. is that you could imbue yourself.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, so it's a yep. fantastic. Uh, it's a little neat little trick, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, and I, one of the, it's funny that you mentioned that particular thing about the, um, choosing a feet to change the body type. And, you know, I think especially with 5e, there's opportunity to simply just have subclasses or sub races.
1: I, I think yeah, that's basically. the simplest way to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, you know, instead of wasting a feet slot, for example, um, not that 5e makes heavy use of feet, but you know what I mean?
1: No, but I think subclasses is I and mean, subraces is exactly you know it's yeah. it's one of those places where I'm like oh that's a great place for a subrace mm-hmm. and that's the thing is I don't mind subraces in um, fifth edition I just don't think of them the same way as subraces in other editions of I don't think of this as a distinct cultural evolutionary group I think this is a, a sort of specialized version right a uh, that this race can
0: produce series of you know uh, of Warforged pro, you know types or whatever it might be yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, do we have anything else in general about Warforged that we want to touch on?
2: I think basically as we talk about stuff for the GMs, for stuff for players, stuff that's going to come out, I mean, we're going to talk about you know, I think one of the major things um, from I guess coming from that quote from Evelyn, Everon uh, is uh, alignment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we talk about alignment in terms of, or even if you talk about real world, you're talking about what's the nature versus nurture um argument of someone's personality, someone's um conscience. Warforge are not well, depending on how you, you run them. Um don't have really much of that nature. They they might come out as kind of a blank slate with some languages and, you know, basic understanding of this is my arm, this is my leg. Right. Um and everything that they are is a is a nurture thing. So I think that gives you you know, I'm sure a lot of people use that as a role-playing opportunity to really do that. DMs get to use that that space uh, to do stuff. But, you know, alignment has a lot of, a lot to do with that. Alignment has a lot to do with your culture sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Not getting into the argument of why are all works chaotic evil. Um, sure. But, you know, if you're neutral uh, or, you know, fourth and fifth edition, they have unaligned, um, you know, Warforge probably come out as unaligned and, what are they nurtured into? Are they, you know, chaotic good, lawful good, you know, where are they going? That's, that's always an interesting thing when people go, what, what is now, what is now your, 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 line based on?
1: And, and the argument to me is, you know, if anything, you have to make a pretty strong case of why aren't most of them lawful evil? Uh, because to a certain degree, they were made to follow orders and kill things. Mm-hmm. Um I needless to say I don't make them mostly lawful evil but I'm saying uh you know to a certain degree when you look at alignment especially in Eberron uh as being something about sort of altruism uh and empathy That, you know, the good person feels sympathy, cares about how their actions impact others, and the evil person basically doesn't. You know, they can kill without remorse. They can take from others uh, and such. You know, you certainly have – to a certain degree, have the why would you teach a warforged empathy? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, how is that going to help you, you know, having them suddenly on the battlefield say, oh, should we really be fighting these people, sir? Right. Um, so, again, I don't actually tend to, to push for war for being evil, but there's certainly a case to argue that at the very least, most of them would be more likely to be neutral than good because, you know, being good is something they'd be more likely to have to discover than that they would have literally been taught. You know, lawful makes a lot of sense because most of them are in the military and you're sort of – you have a, a structure to follow.
3: Right. Yeah. You're
2: trained uh, for it.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and again, as we've all said, you know, the point is, well, this makes sense. This is the world you know, um, and so again, you know, a chaotic warforge either likely wasn't, uh, sort of didn't spend most of their time in the military, or they discovered that on their own, and then that's a story. How did you come to be uh, chaotic? You know, uh, what made you rebel? And so, to me, going back to the idea of again, if your warforge is good. How did you come to that? Is that something you learned from the people around you? You know, like, again, this comes back to nurture of you have what they were taught coming out of the forge. And then you have what was their experience actually within their unit. I was just going to mention you that. You have a mentor, yeah. you know, uh, who is it? So, again, to the, to the degree that you have any kind of, uh, per, you know, parental figures. Well, who were they? What were they? You know what are you patenting yourself on
0: i was just going to mention that when you when you said experiences um really i I think just like anybody else it's the experiences that they're going to have they're going to shape them in terms of alignment as well Mm -hmm. Um, you know i think about the movie platoon and how the different (laughs) characters are dealing with you know this war and the things that they're going through in different ways some of them are still clinging tightly to their sense of empathy while others are just throwing it away altogether. Um, and I think that can happen with the warforge as well. I, I, yeah, I don't I don't think it's going to be homogenous for every single warforge. I think it, each one's going to have different experiences.
1: And to me, this comes back to the Lord of Blades, is to a certain degree, this is the point of the Lord of Blades, is he's saying, well, we were made to be weapons. Right. We're going to be weapons, you know, and you made us to, to kill And Well, <laughs> now, you know... Now you should fear us, mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. Um, and and it's all back to that. Well, that is what he was made for. So uh, so be careful what you wish for.
2: Something that you just mentioned about the the nurture part or the nature part. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an Isaac Asimov story. I don't know if it's a short story. No, I think it's one of his his robot series. But mm-hmm. it, it, towards the end, it posits that. You know, there's a there's a there's a culture that's basically creating uh, robots, positronic brains, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. three laws of humanity, uh, three laws of robotics. But what they were doing was they were not telling they they were going to not tell that these um, to tell these brains, these positronic brains, these robots mm-hmm. what a human was. So you can't mm-hmm. break the do not harm a human, but if you don't tell them that this person's human. Mm-hmm. Then you're not breaking a rule, right? And right. if you go back to the War Forge, if you're teaching somebody, let's like say you have a blank slate and you taught them the person, who, you know, we are human. We are, let's say Carnathi, We are Carnathi. Anyone who's mm-hmm. not Carnathi, not only is the enemy, but they, they have no souls. They don't exist. Then Absolutely. it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if you're good or evil. It's basically it's like an adventure going and killing a you know, destroying an undead. They have no souls. And if you tell Warforged, and the first thing you do is, those people don't have souls, it's okay to kill them. They don't even have to be evil. It's just like, that's the enemy, and I'm going to go kill them. Because, you know, it doesn't count for anything.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a very interesting, uh, very interesting point. And again, like, exactly the kind of thing that you could say, this is how my character was taught. You know, I mean, I think we have said that they are taught uh, you know, One of the things I call out in one of those dragon charts is the idea that they have this sort of chrysalis phase where they can sort of absorb knowledge very quickly and uh, pick things up very quickly, which comes back to the question of do they have an inherent aptitude tied to souls or such. But still, it's that there is a point where they really pick up their foundation uh, and that they were learning from different folks. Uh, and one of the things I call out in one of my things was the idea, of well, some of them were actually taught by other warforged. Um, and so exactly that of saying, if you want to say, well, my teacher sort of instilled this in me, and I'm sort of trying to figure this out, but I was always taught that, yeah, only only uh, Ondarians have souls, uh, then that's part of what's, you know, that's part of what's interesting with the warforged is again, you can play them in very different ways because they can have these sort of unique, uh, sort of creation experiences.
0: Right. Well, let's go ahead and dive into, uh, the GM section and, uh, and how GMs can sort of employ warforged in their campaigns. Um, I think to start off with, um, there's there's the obvious nature of, of the fact that these things were created for war, they're living reminders in the setting. They're living reminders of the last war, which
1: oh, I have to throw out one other minor detail. Oh yeah, as long as we're we're talking about that, not only were they created for war, in three point five terms, they're really dangerous. Right. Uh, if you have a a adamantine body warforged, he's walking around with like an AC of eighteen and some damage resistance, so he's tougher than a guy in plate armor. He has a lethal unarmed attack. Right. Which is basically like hitting someone with a mace. So he is always armed and he's immune to subdual damage. So it is literally the case that a warforged in a bar fight could just kill a whole bunch of people.
0: Right. Yeah. He's, he's uh, a threat. And, he's a walking threat. And he
1: was made to. Right. So, you know, just throwing that out there.
0: Made to and trained to. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, totally. Exactly. So there's reason to be afraid, but um, – but that creates a lot of post-war tension. Um, and of course you have, um, there, there was a Dragon Shards article that talked about um, race and prejudice um, and, you know, Warforged being a part of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that's that creates a very thickly dense atmosphere that uh, some people kind of downplay. Like, oh, we just got a Warforge walking around. It's like, there should be a lot of places where they might not feel welcome. You know, a lot of communities. Well, and and-
1: to me, and that that comes in a couple different levels. You know, on the first, you have this fact that they are literally weapons, and you know they can't help it. You know, they are always armed and armored. Uh, it's, and like, that that's it's like scary. Edward Scissorhands. But but secondly, you have that point that they are reminders of the war. Right. And you have the question of where you're from. If you're from, you know, if you're in Sharn and you're a Brelish warforged, uh, even then, you're still reminding everybody of the war that they might walk around and we're trying to sort of pretend that everything's good now. Uh, if you're a Carnathi warforged, then you're also like, well, if my brothers were killed by Carnathy and here you are, this big Carnathy war machine. It's hard for me not to, you know, it sort of calls out that any nationalistic prejudices even more strongly because you're not just a person from that place, which could easily be mistaken. You are actually one of their weapons.
0: Right. And then you consider the sort of extremist Lord of Blades followers, right? That, that's out there. That's known. that, that, that That's a thing. It's a, this mysterious group that, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's fearing. Like, you know, nobody really knows what's going on with that. And you could even sort of trans like relate that somewhat to sort of like um, well, as Islamist mean, extremists, right? Or something to that effect, where there's suddenly right. like this fear and, of things that they understand. And I think this is the thing with a understand. lot of
1: things in Eberron is, especially, you know, noting when we made it and such, you know, it's not like any of these things are supposed to one-to-one map to issues in our world, but with many of these things, no, oh, no, no, no. But with many yeah, of these things, the point that. is, with something like the morning, you can compare it to Hiroshima. You can p- compare it to nine eleven. You know, just to think about mm-hmm. the kind of impact this has on a people, and it's exactly that sort of thing. Of we right. know how we as humans are about things we're suspicious of, things we're afraid of. How easy it is for us to paint. You know, use the actions of extremists to paint an entire group with a particular brush. And just think about that kind of thing right when you're dealing uh, with the warforged. And like I said, even more so because they can't help but actually be dangerous. Right. Right. Exactly
0: right.
2: The thing is, as a GM, as a DM, you've got to be able to Project that not only if a player is playing Warforged, mm-hmm. but if the players are coming up against Warforged. I think that's one of the things that when we're playing D D I I mean, everything's a threat and everything's an enemy right. and everything is, I'm going to be able to kill that anyways. But seeing, like, maybe I, I maybe I, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, not portraying this thing as a weapon because as a player, we know, oh, it's got a personality and maybe it's good and maybe it's evil. But if your character walks up and sees, you know, Warforged jug- Juggernaut, like eight feet tall, spikes and blades, and mm-hmm. it's the bouncer at a bar, I mean, y- y- you're going to be taken back and be like, whoa, wait a yep. minute, wait a sec, what is going yeah. on here? <laughs> you better believe you know.
0: there's no fights in that bar.
2: <laughs> yeah. And and not just that, but one of the things that we forget is that, you know, most of these Warforged, yes, they have the Gulra, but they probably have... Oh, okay. You know, they probably have other stuff attached to them. So not just weapons, but you've got the like you were saying the Carnat, the <laughs> identifiers, like the, the the unit numbers. Those things don't come off. They're not like they're like they're like permanent tattoos. There, those things should be obvious up front and really in your in your face about it. Because, like you said, this is a warm. This is literally a one man war machine. This yeah. is like some guy put on a mech suit and is walking around and he doesn't take the mech suit off now, right? Like that's that's what this thing is and y- you don't see that every day and, in a And and quote, that's quote, quote, exactly I just just want to no, jump I, on the the I, whole
1: I, point of insignia of design, you know, these are things that you should call out is a war forged for a Warforge to strip away those things would actually be like a significant amount of work that ought to in and of itself. You would look at them and say, wow, he's he's really, you know, done some work there to sort of hide his identity. But otherwise, you are going to look at him and say, oh, that's a Carnathi, you know, heavy, heavy infantry warforged, you know, sort of thing. Yeah,
0: I was just going to mention that, like how some warforged do... You know, remove um, like those insignias and such. And, and in the case of like followers of the Lord of Blades, they scratch off their Golra. Well, I've which seen I that. Quite I, I, I didn't the,
1: know that that's even possible. That. Is that could be a face of Eberron I thing. I, s- I didn't work on face of Eberron because I don't see. I always thought that the Golra was uh, to me, to me the Golra is like a dragon mark. I don't feel that you can take it off. It's true, I right. mean, it, if you can scratch it, it off, but I think it would heal. There was <laughs> there something you know, I read about that. And I'm not so, sure again why they would, because like I said. Uh, Kenneth didn't. I, I suspect what that is, if it is face of Ebron, is it was someone who misunderstood it and thought that it was a mark that their makers chose to gave them. Give them, and in that case, I could see them trying to scratch it off. But it's uh, not. So the, it's, one of the it's just their personal mark. So, but I could totally see them scratching off their, you know, basically again gouging out their uh, their national insignia as a sort of point of I'm not your warforged. Uh, but again, to me, on a lot of them, that right, would right. leave, you know, sort of scars and marks, you know, it'd be clear that you put some effort into doing that. Right. Right. Um. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. coming back so, to sort of the points, I mean, I think the thing ahead. to me when you're dealing with warforges, that's interesting, you know, first you have, as we've said, the concept of both prejudice or in general, the difficulty of their interaction with uh, the local community. You know, how are they accepted? Are they comfortable? Are they – you know, some warforges are going to be essentially dangerous or uh, – you know, at the very least emotionally not well-adjusted, you know? Um, So, so there's, how are they fitting in with things? Uh, But you also have basically what is their purpose? What is their motivation? Uh, You know, in the case of people like the Cogs, it's sort of like, well, they're just finding work and doing it because they don't really know. They don't really have a purpose. With the Lord of Blades, uh, he is trying to give them, a purpose. You know, you also have this point that Warforged can't reproduce. That not only have the Creation Forges been shut down, but that's the point. Without creation forges, there is no way for a for warforged to make more Warforged. And is that something that what does that mean to them? You know, do they think about other Warforged as a community or are they a community of one?
0: Well, imagine too, like if you're a particular race and you know that there is, is, there's no way somehow that, uh, like it's a fixed number. And every time one of, one of your race dies, your numbers dwindle, right? And that's, that's kind of a, that's, that can be a really scary thought, you know, in in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, thinking about that, like, okay, well, we got to make sure we survive as, as beings, um, And that, I think, can also create, you know, a strong sense of cohesion. I think
1: Wayne brought up, you know, with the the scary warforged juggernaut bouncer too, also just that point of Mm -hmm. it being easy to have isolated warforged that are really defined by the people they're with. Uh, You know, that whole sense of, well, they may just, again, it's the loyalty that you described. Is that loyalty is going to be a very strong thing among warforged? But loyalty isn't always going to be to good people. So you can have a warforged who's a perfectly decent sort of individual, but who happens his friends have turned to banditry, and he just believes them. You know, they're the only sort of thing he cares about, and so he's going along, and he's a crazy war machine. Um, So I mean, that's that's again the sort Mm -hmm. of thing you Mm -hmm. can explore. With that whole, they're doing what they, you know, a lot of them are just doing what they they think they're supposed to be doing, and could be very easily misled mm-hmm. into doing bad things.
2: Right. I think one of the really wonderful things that that we miss as a as a GM, <clears throat> what if you had mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a thousand twins? How right. would someone but recognize? At a distance, you? Yes, yeah. you have a Galra, but let's say that. At a distance, yep. or let's say you go and rob a shop, mm-hmm. and someone sees oh, you yeah. exiting. I saw a warforged. You've got a thousand people just in Sharn that will look exactly like you, and I think that's one of the things that we forget. And you've, mm-hmm. you mentioned it: warforged are mass-produced;
1: they look the exact. Well, this is like, where you get into like with the nationalistic some thing. But changes yeah. and yep. some badges. And that's the point the is that same. again, we know yeah. they have this unique Golra. I wouldn't argue that the average person on the street necessarily knows that. You know, I think you have to know something about Warforge. If you've worked with and them, it, like again, you're a soldier, you've been in a Warforge unit, yeah, you know. But average main, person yeah. on the street, they're just going to say, oh my God, he was big, he was metal. <laughs> you know, and, and, yep.
2: Agreed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like that Star Wars thing where it's like, yeah, all the clone soldiers, they're the exact same. And I, I, I didn't know it back then, but now you think about it. If you think mm-hmm. about the Warforged as those clone warriors, mm-hmm. you take off their helmets are the exact same. Their armor might be a little bit different, but they all have the same armor, basically. They all have the same weapons. So basically, trying to identify one of them going down the street or seeing them, that's a like really intimidating sight. And we don't play it... You know, We try to give them all individual personalities and whatnot, but as a DM, if you played... Most of your Warforged the exact same, like they're all the the standard units, you know, except for maybe weapons or something like that. And you play them all the exact same. People might be like, "Oh, you're playing the exact well, same." But especially they are the exact especially, same. Especially they're all from the same yeah, unit. Yeah, especially with the same, the same model
1: within the same unit with the same commander. They are going to be very very similar. Uh, and you know, one thing that I think is interesting as a game master is if you have a Warforge player, have another Warforge or more than one show up who essentially is their brother, you know, you know, who is someone from their unit of their design (laughs) and play around with that. And are they basically the same, you know, how do they differ? And, you know, that could be a very interesting, uh, character to sort of play around with, especially if, if they've gone bad or something, why, what's happened to them? Um,
2: yeah, that kind of reminds yeah. me of the um the data and lore thing. Yes, I no, know they're no, not no, robots absolutely. and androids, but you've got the player character, who's 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 data, and you got the person who came with the exact same unit. They were the same thing, right. and they end up being the, the lore where it was like, yes, they're the exact same,
1: but they're the evil. No, version I, of I, lore, I gotta say, I'm version, uh kind of I'm running a campaign but, right now that I just started that I kicked off the whole Kabara Western concept. And, uh, one of the characters is a warforged who's taken up being sort of the sheriff of the town, uh, which in part I love because, well, when something bad happens, he gathers together the other adventurers as a, as a posse. So I'm like, we have an adventuring posse instead of a party. Uh, but now I've thought about it. Yeah. I'm going to have to have another warforged from his unit, uh, who's basically identical to him show up, especially because he, uh, he calls him pants. So he's pants because he wears pants, and so I'm gonna to have to have another warforged show up who doesn't wear pants. Nice. And he's just like, what's with the pants, dude? But anyhow.
0: See, I think I think that's. Yep. I was just I was just thinking about the reforged, um, also from Race of Rebron, where you know they're trying to, um, I guess, sort of you know embrace their sort of the more social aspects and blending in with societies and things like that, embracing culture. Um, and I, yeah, mm-hmm, I, I can mm-hmm. imagine this pants guy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe and, being and actually like it's that.
1: really, uh, it's really kind of fun with, with where he's gone because, uh, he was a paladin, uh, and basically is sort of finding a new sort of purpose with religion, uh, at the moment, and the character sort of playing through that. And, uh, it's actually very interesting. So, uh, and and this comes back. Well, go on. I was going to say, so and we talked could, sort of oh, briefly ahead. about the why gonna, would Warforged have religion, uh, and that was a sort of interesting point, just sort of saying here. And I think this sort of transitions over to to players a little. Um, that's just the question. Well, they don't necessarily, uh, you know, if you are playing a religious Warforged, it is a question to say why. What does it mean to you? Why do you need more uh, out of life? And and as I said, what I like with this character in particular is he is playing that. Of mechanically he's a paladin, but he's actually still sort of finding what he believes in uh, in a very sort of organic, interesting way. So I'm really enjoying that. Yeah.
0: And that and that makes sense too when you think about w- when you're talking about the idea of like post-war, what is my purpose and why am I here? Why do, why do I have a sense of self-identity? Um, and I, I think that's where Exploring, yeah, and you know, again, you've
1: got things like the Lord of Blades or the um, uh, becoming God, but you can just as easily, you know, have one who finds meaning in the silver flame or, you know, things like that.
0: So, oh, yeah, yeah, I fight for I fight, I fight evil now, you know, or whatever it might be, yeah. So, you know, we we talk about Warforged as, you know, in the concept of the player race. And we we touched on things like the scout a little bit. Um, so I think as a GM, pulling in um, the other variants of Warforged that exist into the story. We, we talked about Warforged Juggernauts as well. Um, but there's really a lot of variety to Warforged in Eberron. It's not just the generic Warforged, mm-hmm. you know, soldier type. Um, it's beginning with the the Warforged Titan, the original Warforged, which is not, um, mm-hmm. you know, a living construct per se. Um, but there's a few of them still, you know, maybe more than a few uh, on, on corvair that you can encounter. <laughs> yeah, those things are huge, mm-hmm. like ginormous. There's some good art of them out um, there too. Oh, yeah. I remember, of yeah, course, that was one ones. of the really um, exciting
1: things for me when the minis first started coming out is they had their uh, Warforged Juggernaut uh, miniature. Mm-hmm. And, and that and the, yeah, the Titan. Excuse for me, the not Titan? Juggernaut. Titan. Uh, the Warforged Titan and uh, the Sakura Cory are the two minis that it was just like having those, it's like, yes. wow, this thing was in my head. Now it's here. I'm holding you. I've got an action figure. Whoa. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's it's actualized. Yeah, and uh, my personal favorite is the Warforged Scout. I, I really love the Warforged Scout as a concept, um, and I've I've used them in my campaigns or one, once or twice. Um, the one I seldom see employed mm-hmm, is the mm-hmm. Warforged Charger, uh, which sort of has that ape like, yeah. you know, or it looks like an ape, like a Warforged ape. Um, and I'm not sure why, because I think it's a really cool concept. I'm not sure why it's not employed as much. Um, I don't know. Have you uh, ever used? Them I in haven't your games? personally. So, yeah.
1: I don't know. I mean, what's, what's I've, I've usually i usually found anyway. enough to do <laughs> just with with the sort of standard model that uh, I have pulled Titans and Scouts in occasionally, and I, I think it is just that Scouts are easier mm-hmm. to use uh, and you know smaller and sneakier. But I'm just thinking, even in in my novels, I know there's uh, yeah I'm trying to remember. I want to say is it Hydra. In um, there's there's a bunch of unusual warforged in the shattered land, and I have a feeling that it's like there's like five scouts with a hive mind or something like that going on, uh, and I can't remember. Right, right, right. Um, And of course, that was the interesting yeah. thing with the novels is that I was originally supposed to, uh, I was originally planning to use the Lord of Blades, and Wizards ended up deciding. As I was starting to work on the second novel, oh, don't use the Lord of Blades. And I'm like, well, I've already kind of got this plot figured out. Um, so I ended up creating uh, a villain called Harmatan, uh, who is essentially yes. a sort of living blade barrier. It's the idea that he's all these sort of little shards that are still sort of held together. Uh, by force of will, but that he can just sort of turn into this sort of razor whirlwind with a with a warforged that popping in the middle. And actually, I really and obviously, the idea is that you know he was made by uh, you know a traveler, cultist, crazy Kenneth artificer. Uh, this is not a normal warforged thing. Um, but it was still fun to actually explore again some very unusual concepts of warforged.
0: Right, right. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, I remember that character. And I, I remember the first time he used that ability when I was reading the novel. I was just like, I'm trying to wrap my head around what's happening here. It like, blew my mind. It was really cool. Well, thanks. Uh, really cool effect, by the way.
1: Yeah, as I say, in the, the long run, I'm actually just as glad um, it wasn't The Lord of Blades because it let me be a lot more sort of uh, take the character places that you know, I wouldn't have if it had just been the Lord of Blades
0: right yeah I could see that I could see that so uh, and, and just a, a few more um, there's the Warforged Raptor I think that came in uh, fa- uh, Five maybe. Nations maybe. was the Warforged wasn't Raptor? me or so I can't say last, for sure uh, it could be either one War. I'm
1: gonna guess Forge of War yeah cause, cause it doesn't actually ring a bell with me and Forge yeah. of War is the and, book I've uh, read the least so
0: okay yeah fair enough Fair enough. Uh, One of my favorites I've used is the Warforged Scorpion. Now, interestingly, we see a lot of artwork Mm -hmm. for the Warforged Scorpion early on in some of the the earlier 3-5 books. But it really didn't get statted out until – I think that makes sense. And I think it's quite
1: likely that that Um, it's one of those things where a concept artist did the design and then nobody ever actually made stats for it until then. And someone was like, we've got this Warforged Scorpion. Why don't we have anything for it?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like in in some of the spreads that that Wayne Reynolds has done, um, where, like we see them, and I'm, I'm like, where, where? I remember people yeah. were like, where are these things? <laughs> they're they're fantastic looking. Um, and uh, and I have a personal favorite that uh, it's it's very little is written about them. They were introduced in Magic of Eberron, mm-hmm. and it's the Cyforge. Um, and just to kind of summarize quickly, that the, the Cyforge is just they basically take a feat that gives them like, you know, um. Side crystals, or not side crystals, uh, power stones, I guess, uh, embedded on their body, and it stores additional power points and such. Um, and the idea is that they just sort of came out of the Mornland suddenly, and they have no idea who they are, who they are, no knowledge of anything. Um, nobody knows where they came from, and there's only a handful of them that that have manifested, um, which I th- I find really cool in terms of of mm-hmm. being a sandbox type of component. Um, that one I'm—I I, kind of want to go into a little sure, bit of of what I've done with that, just because I think it's kind of neat. We'll allow it. <laughs> um, what? So I have this theory. Yeah, so I have this theory about warforged. You know, because we don't know where the souls are coming from and such. And uh, I remember reading in Races of Eberron the, the chapter on uh, on there's There was this concept of these lost souls that they just. They, during the exodus from Dalkor, they just got lost, and it's believed that they're out there. So my personal hypothesis that I've used is that they they have found their way to the material plane via Warforged, and then even in some cases, Psyforged, um, um, and that they might actually be um, sort of those souls you know, finding their way into, into those and, bodies. And
1: definitely to me, I think the idea of whether they're quarry, and that's a, a possibility that is other precedent, or even just, you know, another common idea is that they're just uh, leftover souls from Dolor. Uh Because the whole idea in Dohler is that you wipe away the memory, which... A lot of religions say, "Oh, that's because it's leaving. It's going somewhere else. It's not that it's just being wiped out. It's that it's departing and just leaves this sort of cast-off husk behind." And you know, another right. uh, theory is it's it's those it's sort of uh, you know remnant souls from Dolar, uh, and that can they actually in some way recover? You know, some of the original. So you could say this is King Jarrett's soul. Uh it just doesn't remember it. You know, and and could that be uh, right. memory and right. sometime be recovered? So I think there's just a lot of interesting things you could do with that.
0: There really are. Yeah, there's an incredible yeah. amount. Mm-hmm. A lot
2: of a lot of things you can use as story <clears throat> elements and and things that people can grasp onto. And and you know, when we first started this podcast, one of the first things that we had said was, mm-hmm. you know, you have your canon. Um and you as in the listener, um, have your canon. There is no official canon, And if you wanted to, and we've asked, you know, Keith is not going to give you the answer. He's going to tell you an answer that you can have. And, Mm -hmm. and we really actually hope, you know, I love the idea of the Psyforged. I've, I've, I've never really used them. Um, I guess they came later in this thing when we, we hadn't played as much and, you know, just these ideas of where your soul comes from, um, is is a big deal for the players because, um, as we kind of move into that last section, you know the it, that's not a question that the average human or Absolutely. elf or dwarf ask themselves. They don't ask where my soul comes from, but for a warforged, that's a really important question. I mean we've we've spoken about that nature versus nature, your alignment, what was your background. More importantly than I I, I don't even know why, but it's more important for a warforge to answer those questions than than an elf because there is no culture. It's not like I'm an Aranel elf. Well we kind of know what that means. Or um, you know, I'm a I'm a shifter from the reaches or something like that. As a Warforge, you saying I'm a Warforged from Breland, um, or I'm a Warforge of Sharn, doesn't mean anything because your your history and your culture can be encapsulated yeah. in the X amount of years. No, that no you've I completely
1: lived. agree. And you know there is so much more also to that sort of fundamental things of also what were you made to do, and are you embracing that or are you pushing either to go past it or to uh, to change it, and you know that's the thing of of again more than any human or elf you were designed to do something. You know, you, you were sort of handed a purpose. And again, do you embrace that? Is that what you want? Is that, you know, are you just like, well, yes, I'm going to be the best darn, you know, uh, heavy infantry I can possibly be. Or are you now saying, but that was what I was made to be. What do I want to be? Um, or can I be more than that? Um, and as you said, especially to the point of souls, yeah, humans don't generally say, do I have a soul? With a warforged, it's a really interesting question to explore. And again, if you have a soul, what is it? Where is it from? Yeah. yeah um, and again, part of the point is, mm. you know, even just going to that, I'm, I'm a braylish warforged. You know, you have the Just looking to, did you have a military specialty and what was it? Were you a, you know, a skirmisher? Were you a scout? Were you heavy infantry? Were you a bodyguard? You know, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can look to that. Um, How many people did you kill? You know, I mean, just throwing it out there. Um, But then also you don't have to have been built for war or served in the army. Again, you could have been, you know, uh, one of the Warforged in one of the campaigns I started, we did the whole thing where everyone had this attachment to this bar and the Warforged was the bouncer at the bar that had been bought, you know, for that purpose. Uh, Or you could have been designed, you know, if you want to say, I'm a Warforged sorcerer. Well, were you like, are you an experimental model that was built like to be a living wand? You know, I mean, are you? Oh, yeah, actually, right. there were a whole right. bunch of us, and we were an artillery unit. Or is it? No, you're a weird, you're a weird thing. They were just testing out. And you're kind of cool and unique, and you can play either way.
0: Yeah, yeah. The Warforged Artificer, the Warforged Wizard, uh, or even if you're thinking in three five, and, um, and like yeah, when I War played Mage, my
1: Warforged Artificer, like I believe, if I remember correctly, I was a. Uh, we started at fifth level and I think I was a fighter artificer. And I think that was the idea for me is, no, I'd become an artificer. You know, I'd started out. I wasn't designed to be an artificer. I'd learned to be an artificer. But you could just as easily say, right. no, you were made to be an artificer. And you've got like actually lots of little, you know, weird attachments and things like that that you use when you're, uh, you're doing stuff.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's something that people struggled with early on. Was well, if our warforged were created for war, why don't they just all have levels of fighter, right? And and that's you know that's that's a challenge to try to you know wrap your head around as a player is you know what if I want to play the warforged and, bard? And again, to me, reason. there's
1: the the two ways of doing that. You know, there's the um, either it is what you were designed for, and you come up with with what is the role of a bard on the battlefield. Uh, or again you come up with a reason that you weren't right. made for war. You were made, you know, made to be a bard or uh, sim- simply you were made for manual labor and then you learned to be a bard. You know, and you somehow stumbled into that. Right.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, so so uh, we're 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 definitely Oh yeah, hit, sorry. I thought we were already in the player in section yeah. at this point. Um Oh yeah, no, no, no. It, it it segued really nicely, which was great. Um, so when we're th- when we're talking, uh, there's a number of questions, really. That you know, what's your purpose, and so on. Um, but then, let's say, you know, you maybe you were made for something, mm-hmm. but you're like, you know what, I'm done with that. You know, are, are are you embracing that purpose still? Are you seeking a way to continue to fill it in the post you know post war world? Are you looking to do something completely different? Right. Like you, like you mentioned, maybe I was a fighter. Now I'm going to be an artificer. or now I'm going to be a bard or, or whatever it might be. Um, you know, and then, you know, we talked earlier about the reforged as well, you know, and how they're sort of trying to, you know, uh, become more human like in, in, in their nature. Um, you know, I, I, there's also the struggle of in, in that Sort of sense of identity, and ex- self exploration. Where you know, as we said earlier, you are this weapon. You're this physical manifestation of a weapon that can walk and move, and you're a constant threat. How do you see yourself? Right? How do you? How do you? What's your self perception of that? Is it something you're really self conscious about? Is it something that you just try to like ignore? Well, and it's especially and to me in,
1: in three point five where you've got that lethal unarmed attack of do you actually feel like
0: mm-hmm.
1: oh my god all these humans around me are incredibly fragile you know i i don't want to just take a swing at you cuz right. i would i would stick my hand through your chest you know or is it that oh no you don't really think about that and you know you'd really have to put a lot of strength into it to do that you know i mean sort of how does that affect uh, affect you
0: or maybe even as a player you just make a constant a, a, a conscious decision
1: well, it's, to just
0: never use that.
1: It's it's back to, me use to the, the whole sort of concept of someone like Spider-Man, where the idea is Spider-Man mm-hmm. punching a normal person would have to be incredibly careful about it, because if he's got enough strength yeah. to lift up a car, he's got enough strength to just you know put his hand through your chest. Uh, And so that, right. as a warforged, right. are you being like, "Oh, I'm just being extra careful because I don't want to accidentally, you know, break your arm." Right. But
0: yeah. Um, and you know, and then uh, actually, I-
2: go ahead. Sorry, I was just say, I really love what what Keith said like a little while ago. It was like. Are you a mm-hmm. living wand? Sorry, I, I, I've been stuck on that for a second. Just, I've never thought of it that way. It's like, you're a sorcerer, but you're this living wand. You don't have dragon like, blood. I love that. I'll, you know, you were made aside, I love to that channel
1: kind of magical energy. And I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's a great explanation for for certainly mm-hmm. sorcerer in particular, of, of just saying yeah, you know, a wand is a magic item that's made to channel magical energy. You were made to channel magical energy. And as you are gaining experience, you're discovering new ways to, to you know, go beyond what you were done to do, uh, made to do. But yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that concept now. And again, wow. I, never thought yeah, and again I mean, it's Shorter, the same
1: type of thing. If you're playing a Warforged Bard, you can play it as, oh, I've just learned to do this. Or you can play it as, no, I was designed to be, you know, uh, uh, Fiarlin or Guillaume or someone, you know, commissioned uh, Musical Warforged or, you know, again, designed to inspire or whatever it is. And that class abilities could concretely right. be, no, you have, like, for your bardic magic, it's you have components that actually are designed to perform these things. So...
0: Yeah. I could totally see even like, you know, just your fingers being more nimble or, you know, the three fingers that you have. And it's back to what
1: Wayne was saying earlier. (laughs) You know, on the one hand, yeah, you have your standard model infantry warforged that you probably see a thousand of them out there. But that doesn't mean that you can't be like, oh yeah, I'm one of five, you know, uh, rare bard warforged that were made by this particular guy. And if we run into another Warforged bard, that's probably another guy from my batch, you know?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, And you could even be like, you know, the, the you know,
1: yeah, no, the drummer sure, on the
0: battlefield, you know, or something to that effect. Inspiring well, and that's the and, point
1: and, is, and is if you're going to be a Warforged so. bard who was made for that purpose, you know, yeah, you could go for the entertainment aspect or you could say, what is the function of a bard? It is to inspire troops in battle. You could have been made exactly for that. Uh, right. but, Mind blown. um, but yeah. I mean, I think to me, it really does come back to that whole question of as a warforged more than with humans, you have to say, what is it that you want? You know, with humans, we have a lot of basic needs, you know, we need comfort. Uh, when well, I say comfort, shelter, we need food. Uh, you know, yeah, ideally if you're a fighter, you want better armor. You know, I mean, you have these sort of things. I want to, you know, bigger sword. With Warforge, you don't need to eat. You don't need food. You know, you don't need to sleep. You don't need. You're not worrying about the weather, so you don't need, uh, you know, a home as much or clothing. clothing you're never yeah, gonna have yeah. a family, so you're not trying to provide for your family. You know, so what is it?
0: Yeah, you don't right. have to worry so about what disease is or illness. It that yeah.
1: you actually want. Uh, and this is why I think your loyalty point comes up is because that's one of the easiest things to grasp on a Warforged is, well, who do you care about? You know, what is it that gives you an right. attachment uh, to the right. world?
0: Right. You attach your purpose mm-hmm. to somebody else.
1: Or a cause. You know, or or you know, a I mean, again, cause. That's no, going back to, to, to this yeah. pants And my game is sort of latching on to the idea of, well, I'm, I'm justice. Right. You know, I'm here to, to promote the idea of justice. Yeah. So
0: now, I, I think the one thing that they do have in common with say a a, a human being is yes. death, right? They they still have the possibility of death and the threat of death. Um, but more than likely, that's going to come through combat than say you know disease or although
1: of course know, the poison, funny thing about might be. death for warforged is they're a lot harder to kill than people because if you just knock them out, they auto stabilize. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of Warforged, you have the question of how they even understand the concept of death since they can just get knocked down and get fixed and get back up. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. how have they – on the other hand, they've certainly experienced the concept of death through losing human companions uh, at the very least, if not also Warforged companions. Uh, and so there, I think it is that valid question to say, "How do you view death? Are you afraid of it? Have you not really come to grips with it? You know, what is that like?"
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It's interesting that you mentioned that piece about the um, mm-hmm. you know the the inert state, because uh, I love using that also as a GM where maybe if, if they're venturing into the mornland or they just find some ruin and there's a warforged right. just there inert um just been waiting um also the idea that they don't have to eat sleep or you know have to worry about shelter or any of those things i've had a warforged that my players encountered in the Mornland, just at this absolutely abandoned station just well, you can definitely guard. you know Mornland <laughs> you know?
1: or somewhere else you can certainly have that the warforged who's just been in that vault for 10 years you know and
0: yeah yeah or just, or just you know, guarding that thing that he was told to guard and has never been told to go home, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, such as what yep. home, whatever home might be, you know.
1: Um, but so. that certainly still comes to you know, comes to that point of how does your character, you know, and this comes back to souls as well. Are you afraid of it? Do you are you mm-hmm. very nonchalant mm-hmm. about it? Because man, you you've you've gotten knocked out a couple times and you've always gotten back up, you know, sort of thing. Um, right. Right. and you know, obviously we have the, the core question again of how do you feel about other Warforged, and for that matter, about the Lord of Blades, you know, do you have yeah. a sense of yourself as a Warforged, as part of a race? Uh, or are you like, oh no, I just really only think of my, my unit as my family and I don't really identify with other Warforged. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: right.
2: Yeah, where's where's that identity coming in and you know, how like I, I know earlier we talked about, you know, limited race and survival, but you may not like you said, you may not think of Warforged as your race because that may not and, be something you And that's that was very much in the Dreaming Dark
1: you. novels. That's sort of what happens with the Shattered Land, uh, in particular, is this whole idea of sort of saying Pierce has really identified more with his human companions because that sort of primarily who we served with and then basically ending up with a number of warforged who were more again uh working with other warforged and having to sort of deal with that do i have more in common with with them than i do with these Mm -hmm. other people uh i've been identifying with
0: right right well i think that uh that pretty much wraps up I oh, I think, think we could come up with,
1: with more, but, uh, but I think we are running late on our yeah, late on our episode. Page
2: two. I will, I will <laughs> well say one of the fun time. things
1: yeah. uh, from the original design is, you know, the idea of Warforge. When I developed the Setting Bible, uh, one of the clear things Wizards said is basically don't come up with mechanics. You know, come up with the ideas. We'll work on mechanics after you know it all gets accepted and such. And so the idea of warforged was concretely right. there, but they actually went through I think 7 different iterations of design in the first, you know, before the original Eberron uh, wow. campaign setting. And there were a bunch of of different approaches and one of them, I know at one point there was the whole idea that they would basically attach magic items and such to themselves. Uh, I know at one point there was an option for Warforged to have extra limbs that as a feat you could basically get another limb Uh, and that the Lord of Blades in particular at one point had uh, four arms Uh, and that the idea was that he had two arms with arm blades that he usually sort of wrapped up uh, over his, his shoulders and like when I first saw General Grievous I'm like dang it! Nice. That is exactly where we're going, uh-huh. except that he he was supposed to sort of wrap them over his shoulders, <laughs> so it looked like he had these big sort of swords coming right. over his shoulders, right. and then he sort of fold them out uh, for battle. Um, but yeah, so as I said, they've gone through a lot of different uh, different iterations uh, to get to where they finally got to. Very cool. Uh, and I will nice. say the nice. uh, unearthed Arcana. Our article that came out, it uh, is important to remember that Anarth is early draft concept. And I know that that version of them in particular was mm-hmm. a very early draft concept for 5th edition. Uh, so certainly when, when they finally come out, expect uh, you know a lot of changes.
2: <laughs> Ex- exactly. Yeah, expect them not to look like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's interesting that you mention that because I've been watching these videos talking about stuff that they're putting out for in Xanathar's guide. And they actually talk about like the early playtest version of this thing was like this. And we figured yeah. out that this doesn't work because of these reasons. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'm really eager to see how they handle some of the stuff yeah, for Eberron. And, and as I said, I know with that in
1: particular that a lot of that was very early sort of playing around with stuff. So
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. All right. right. All right. Well, uh, Hey, thank you all for listening. Um, be sure to visit our website at Manifest.Zone, where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on an episode, find links to our Google+, Twitter, Facebook pages, and whatever option you prefer. Please let us know what you think of the show. Uh, you know, We've talked about Elves. We've talked about Warforged. And I think next time we're looking at doing maybe Shifters right. and Changelings. Do you think we could do both in one one episode or we'll find out. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Is that how long the episode's gonna be All right now? <laughs> thank All right. you. Well, thank you guys. All right, take care. Have a good night.